This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 37, getting toward the end of the story of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery into Egypt. And uh, obviously, we've been talking about that being a picture of being sold into slavery by the world and uh, all that comes with that and all the struggles that go along with that. And uh, there are many parties in this story. There's many roles to be played. You've got Joseph, who is a picture of really us. He's a picture of believers. You've got, you've got Joseph's father, Jacob who sent him off to do that. You've got many, you've got the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this story. You've got his brothers and each brother is different. They're not homogenous. They're not singular. You've got brothers who don't want this to happen. You've got Reuben who is doing his best to try to figure out how to keep his brother from being killed by his other brothers. You've got brothers who are pushing the issue and doing their very best to get rid of Joseph because of their jealousy. There's just stories everywhere, stories to be told, stories to understand. But today we're going to focus on Reuben. We're in verse 29, and Reuben is the one who talked him into putting him in a pit, not just killing him outright. And uh, his thought was, why don't I just put a Band-Aid on this for the moment and then I will, when the brothers are gone and he's in that pit and he's starving to death, I'll slip off and I'll get him out and I'll send him back to our father and there he'll be protected. But what ends up happening is while he is away, his brothers see the Ishmaelites and the Midianites traders who pass by and they, they decide that they're going to sell their brother. They pull him up out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, the blood price which is always silver. Silver is a beautiful picture in scripture of the price of sin and God's willingness to pay that. Ultimately, Jesus was bought with 30 shekels of silver. Judas betrayed him for that. And that value is not for the believer and for the unbeliever. That value doesn't have any great gifts for the unbeliever like Judas. But for the believer, that price is very precious. Silver is a beautiful and wonderful metal. It's, it's a great conductor of energy and power. One of the finest conductors of energy and power. In fact, our industries use up a lot of silver in production. In fact, silver, we mine a lot of silver in the world, but the actual amount of silver that the world has doesn't increase all that much over time because we use it up in little fine components, small components to our electronics because silver is a excellent, one of the finest conductors of energy in the world. And I think that's su such a beautiful picture. One of the finest conductors of power, electromagnetic power, is the blood price, the price that God paid for our sins. And I understand that power is available to us and the conductor that brings it to us, that which makes it possible, is a picture of our payment for sin. And it also is a great conductor of energy. 
And when you think about those things and how God has made everything in the universe to be not only a representation of his character and nature, but they reveal things to us. And uh, and even thousands of years ago, th- those things were important and they came to a prominent position and they reveal things to us over and over again. And so Reuben is trying to navigate this problem. He he is not stood up to his brothers and say, no, we're not going to do this. He's not, he's not made it so that his brothers are limited in their ability to make this happen. He, said, he has not said, if you're going to do this to, Josh, to Joseph, you got to do it to me. If you're going to, if you're going to, uh, Make this happen. You're going to have to do it over my dead body. He hadn't done that. He is. He was very, very cowardly in that regard. But he did have the intent to try to get his brother out of the situation and send him back to his father. But that does not fix the problem. That is just a band-aid on the problem because the problem is the hearts of his brothers. And they, their hearts are turned toward jealousy wickedness all the time. And so many times, and you say, why does Reuben have to take that role? Reuben's the oldest brother. And I know something about being the oldest brother. Sometimes you got to stand up and say, this ain't right. And we're not doing it this way. And sometimes when you've been given a position of authority, you have to, you have to stand up and say, you're not going to be a part of the wheel that crushes others. You're going to be a part of the solution that helps others. And uh, oftentimes, the easiest thing to do is to cut people off or to sacrifice a few for the many. But that is not really the heart of Jesus. He is a desirous one to go out and find the one that is missing. And so it is required that you stand up for those and help those. That is ministry. Oftentimes, we, we see our ministry, our personal walk with God, what we're doing in his kingdom, the gifts that God has given us as we activate and work on those gifts. We see them as something that is ours, and we see them as some kind of function of our life, but is that ministry is designed and made. Our gifts were given to us for the purpose of building up others, and so the truth is our ministry is people. It's not the functions or the job or the position that we have it is the people that we serve. And oftentimes people want to hold on to their ministry and not let anybody be involved in their ministry. Or they want to, or they want to uh, do things that protect what they do in the kingdom. And that's not how it works. Why it works is that you keep giving yourself away to others. You keep giving your ministry. You keep giving your love. You keep giving your grace to others. And you allow, you allow God to increase that. And if somebody else steps up because I've discipled them, they've walked with me, and they take on a role, what that means is that God's not, it doesn't mean that God's not using me anymore. What it means is God's prepared to promote me even farther because obviously I've moved from being a disciple to being a disciple maker, to be from being a part of the kingdom to be a kingdom builder. And we want to do that. But the only way we can do that is understand that it is of great importance that we focus in on the individual and not worry so much about all the machinations and issues that take place within a church. Or So many times we just want to be a part of the politics. We want to be a part of the big group. And the truth is that until you learn to focus in on the individual and making a difference in the individual's life, 
God's not going to promote you to the point of putting you over the big group. He's just not going to do that. And I see that at work sometimes in my youngest daughter's life. I feel like he's got her in a time period where she is really focused on making a difference in the individual's life. And he's preparing to promote her into doing big things in his kingdom. But before you can do that, you got to learn how to do the little and most important things. And I can't overemphasize that. The little things that we consider insignificant are the most important things. And that is to live out in our lives a love for God, a love for our neighbor, and a love for each other that is pure and complete. Those small things, those little things, when you learn to do them, make you able to do the big things in the kingdom of God. And when you fail to do those things, oftentimes there is, there's great pain and great sorrow that comes along with that. And that is what happens with Reuben. Notice Reuben did not do the thing for the little one, for the least of these. He didn't do that. And so now he's in a position where he's allowed the machine, which is his brothers. He's allowed the group think. He's allowed the organization of the sons of Jacob. He's allowed that organization to destroy one of their own. They sold him into slavery. And it says, then Reuben returned to the pit, verse 29. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he ripped his clothes. And ripping your clothes is a symbol of great anguish and pain, of great sorrow, of great disdain. When the high priest ripped his garments, when Jesus was asked if he was the son of God, and Jesus said, yeah, and you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the Father. He ripped it because that's not what he wanted. That Those words cut him to the bone. They destroyed him. Now, that's because he'd already rejected God's plan. He was always in the business of choosing his own plan. But you can see the symbology here, the important symbolism of great anguish and great sorrow, great loss that Reuben is suffering. He's struggling with it right here. He is struggling through that. And the reason he is, I want you to hear me, is not because it's not so much that he lost his brother. It's because he didn't do what it took to protect his brother. He did not do what he should have. And now he's in a position where he's going to have to explain that, where it's obvious that he is a part of the plan rather than being a part of the solution. He did not care for the least of these, and so now he can't be in charge of most of them, and that is always the truth. We must care for the least of them, and so many times a person is in a position where they're struggling, and their struggles are not, um, are not I guess the best way to describe them, the struggles are not coming from them, it's just the situation they're in. But their struggles are so great that you go, I just can't, I just don't have, I can't give in that area. And the real truth is that you can. I have a very busy life, but I do have time to, to handle the issues of the single individual. I do. I, so many pastors I run into or I, I hear about, they have to be the big corporate type and you can't get access to them and you can't talk to them. That, that's just not biblical. That's just not biblical. You got to shepherd the flock. And the only way to shepherd the flock is to know the flock. Nowhere in the Bible does God make us corporate leaders. What God makes us, he makes us his shepherds, and shepherds know their flock. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. The reason they know his voice is because he's there with them and because he's taking care of them. Now, I do need to handle this understanding as we move forward. There's two parables, and they're together, and they're different 
in how God deals with them. You've got the parable of the 100 sheep or the 99, and one wanders off, and he goes and finds the one. And that parable is important because God goes and seeks out those who are too ignorant, they don't know, they don't understand, and they wander off. He seeks after them, and he goes and finds them and tries to guide them back to the flock. Now, the prodigal son is a whole different story. The prodigal son is the one who actively chose to waste his father's best, to waste his inheritance, and to take it off into the far country for riotous living. Notice, the father does not go and get him out of the hog pen. He lets him experience his own plan. He lets him work out his own choices. And so many times people say, shouldn't we go and get him out of that situation? And the answer is no. He actively chose to put himself in that position. He's the prodigal son. And then they'll say, oh, I just don't know if we can help that person. They're just going to have to find somewhere else to go. I just, I don't have enough. And we're talking about a person who really doesn't have, he's never, that person's never been discipled. They've never been shown the way. They didn't grow up in the church. They didn't grow up in a family where anybody ever gave them an understanding of how the real world is and how God operates in that world. They have no clue. And you can't, you got to go get those. You, those folks, they don't, have, they don't know why they're in the situation they are in. They don't understand what's causing them to be in that problem. They're not actively choosing to be in it. Now, they may be making stupid choices, choices that shouldn't make and that puts them in that situation, but they don't even realize that those poor choices, they don't realize that's defeating, self-defeating for their life. They don't get that. And you, those are the ones you got to go get. And so many times we let them wander off. And we're actively out there trying to help the person who is actively choosing to leave God's presence and to leave God's plan. Here's the case. Reuben had a brother, and that brother was trying to do the right thing. And his other brothers set upon him to destroy him because they were jealous of him. Reuben's job in that situation, Reuben had a responsibility. He had a responsibility to protect the one who was being put upon by the many because the many were jealous of the one because the one was chasing after God. He had a responsibility to take care of that. And uh, he didn't. And when he didn't, his brothers sold his brother into slavery. He got to let him just head back home and protect him from the brothers and said, listen, you can't afford to be killing two, three, four of us. I'm almost sure that if Reuben had stood up, there probably have been one or two or three other brothers that would have stood with him. And eventually you'd got to the place where the brothers who wanted to kill Joseph would not have been able to without it being very obvious that their murderous hearts, their deceitful hearts, were the cause of most of the situation. They were already under their father's ire because of the things that had happened in the past, and now they're doing this. Reuben had a responsibility to stand up for what was right in this situation, and he didn't. And when he didn't, his brother suffered harm because of it. And that brother did not deserve that harm. Now, he might have, shouldn't have just gloated over his brothers in the dream, and it doesn't quite say that he did that. And you might come up with reasons why his brothers felt the way they felt, but that does not make it, and it doesn't make it right for Reuben just to go along with the world and the group think. So many times we get into group think and world think and flesh think, and we don't get into God think. And we miss out on what God's doing. God would have Reuben to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He would have had Reuben be who he ought to be. And Joseph wouldn't have been in that situation. Now, Reuben is in great anguish and pain and great sorrow. Notice, and he returned to the brothers and said, the lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? 
what he's saying is the destruction of my brother has destroyed me. The destruction of my brother has brought me down. I'm no longer in the position I was before because I didn't really care for my brother. I didn't really care enough to protect him. And that's a difficult thing. It is so hard to make that determination. And I'm telling you it is hard because sometimes I, you, sometimes you do have to let the one who just refuses to do what they should be doing, absolutely refuses to do what they should be doing, you got to let them go off. You got to let them go to the pig pen. You don't really have a choice in the matter. You got to let them head off because you are wasting resources and time and energy trying to keep them from doing what they are going to do. That's a great struggle in life. But that being said, sometimes it's a great struggle to help the one who's wandered way off. It's a, it's a great struggle. I, we just spent a couple of hours one afternoon last week searching after one of our chihuahuas that wandered off. She's never run off before. Door was open. We got many, we had many contractors here working on the, doing a little bit of remodeling. And all of a sudden, she's gone. I had to spend a whole afternoon searching for her. You go, my, my original thought is, I didn't wander off, but she did. She needs to find her way back, but she wasn't ever going to find her way back. She's she's not very bright as a chihuahua, to tell you the truth. She's just uh, for cuddly and for uh, kisses and stuff like that. She just Her best attribute is to sit in your lap. And when she wandered off, we had to go find her. And uh, luckily, we had a good neighbor who saw her out there on her dock and said, I better take care of this little chihuahua because this little chihuahua, fat chihuahua doesn't know where she where she is. And they put her on Facebook and we found her. But that being said, as you look at the situation that we're in, I had to go search for her. I didn't have any choice. And I knew deep in my heart when she was missing, I was sitting there thinking, she'll find her way back. But no, not really. She's not. She, doesn't, she didn't know what she was doing when she left, and she's not bright enough to wait, find her way back. And you know what? So I had the responsibility to go hunting for her. Now, my, my wife was hot flying down the interstate to get here to help me look for her. But the truth is that... Uh, is that I walked a couple of miles of shoreline here on the lake and wandered all through the neighborhood. I'm quite sure I was on many security cameras as the guy walking around hollering Disney because the name of the dog is Disney. Hollering Disney, which that's embarrassing in and of itself, but uh, hollering Disney and looking for a little fat chihuahua because she didn't know where she was. She didn't know how to get back. And those individual Christians, they're the ones we have to help. That, seriously, that's they're the ones we have to help. And we help them not only find their way back, but we help them figure out a purpose for their lives. We help them grow. Now, Disney's never going to have a whole lot of purpose for her life. But the truth is believers in the kingdom have great purpose. And we should always be to help them help people who are lesser than us, who are farther back in the road that we've traveled down and don't know how to get where we're at. We've got to help them get there. And we do that, whether we're the pastor of a church, whether we're the head of some giant, or we're a new believer just in the kingdom. We do that by focusing on the individual and building them up and making them more and better. And the only way for that to happen in a healthy, <clears throat> powerful way is for us to not get focused on what the world or what our brothers or what the group says, but always be focused on what God's doing in the individual lives that are around us. And that's how the kingdom is built. And so I would say to you, don't be Reuben. Stand up, make a difference. Change the life of someone around you each and every day by being light and hope in the world you live in. 
And if you do that, there's no, there's no height to which God will not take you. There really isn't. He took a little shepherd boy and made him king of Israel. And so he can do that with you too. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.